On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown, six-time Pro Bowl defensive tackle Gerald McCoy joins us for an interview to talk about his recent signing with the Dallas Cowboys. He talks about embracing the mentor role as a veteran player and how excited he was to add some more Sooners to America's team in the NFL draft. There's so much more, too. It's so good, guys, I, I promise. But before that, we give you an important update on the podcast schedule. We talk about how our weekends went and then get right into it. Your favorite FGTB. Yes, football guys talking basketball. We break down episode five and six of The Last Dance. After the Gerald McCoy interview, we have a discussion about the NCAA Board of Governors recommending against the passing of a one-time transfer exemption with the coronavirus pandemic still going on. We talk about the guide the NCAA put out about how college sports can come back. And then we finish the episode with a few segments, winners and losers of the weekend, and keeping it local, which of course includes your Twitter questions. Just a reminder that we certainly are open to hearing from any sponsors, presenting sponsors, segment sponsors, interview sponsors. Just reach out. I've also been told that I'm supposed to tell you guys to download the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a review. I guess that is a thing. Uh, Don't forget also to go check out the YouTube videos we put up of each episode. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All right. Our man Michael Hostey will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, May 4th, to all you Star Wars nerds out there. May the 4th be with you. Now we are recording this on Sunday night. That's for Dusty. We just watched episode five and six of The Last Dance, but this Gerald McCoy interview we have for you guys is absolutely fantastic. Can't wait for you guys all to hear it, but some important news. Before we get rolling, we are going to change the podcast schedule up, so we will still be releasing episodes on Monday morning, but we are now going to do episodes on Thursday morning instead of Friday morning, and it's all Dusty's fault. Isn't that right, Dusty? <laughs> I, have, I have so many jobs, uh, and we, you know what? We are here. We have to plan for the future, and we are planning for a, a, a football a season in the fall, and given that, I travel on Thursdays, which would make a lot more sense for us to record on Wednesday. But plus, I mean, it gives them that much more time heading into the weekend to digest all this greatness that we're going to drop on them, Gabe. You, Dusty, you should take a lesson from some of the other people we've heard across the country, and you should have said, 
we think it would be crazy that there would be a football season this fall, but uh, we're going to change the schedule anyways. Gosh. (laughs) Teddy's still on it. Teddy is so (laughs) upset about people saying things like that. It's great. Now, boys, before we jump right in to everyone's favorite on this show, which is, of course, FGTB, football guys talking basketball. Yeah. Uh, how was the weekend? Any Anything good? Bit, weather was beautiful. It was perfect. Not much to complain about. Things were opening back up. Seems like some people maybe uh, maybe got a little frisky over the weekend. <laughs> maybe, maybe didn't socially distance enough for some people's liking. They cooped but... up too long. Though. They were really itching to get out there, I guess. I'll just say around here, it was like a – it felt like it was the middle of the summer. Uh, we were around the pool the entire weekend, did a ton of yard work. Not a whole lot changed around here except for uh, we were hanging out at the pool the whole weekend. It was a lot of fun, man. It really was. Yeah, kind of same here. I um, My daughter turned four on Friday, so Miss Sloan had her mermaid birthday party and that merman. was fantastic <laughs> yes i was swimming like a merman all weekend much like ted we were around the pool had the heater going can't wait for the uh, net gas bill coming up this next month but it's all worth it uh and you know what i think you know we'll do winners and losers later but we we're all winners around here man because the weather this weekend was fantastic and i didn't do a whole lot of getting out and about uh though dine out which we can talk about later as we make it more local and had some fantastic food but we had family over for the birthday weekend and you know we spent a lot of time outside and just had a a good time so it felt like spring as may came was in full season and uh i can't wait to see what this uh this month has in store for us boys yeah if if there's one thing i realized this weekend it's that during the quarantine, and, and I'm, not a, I'm not exactly sure if I can pinpoint when it started, but I have rapidly, in a, in a matter of weeks, just turned into an old man. Like, I, I don't know when it happened, but all of a sudden, I'm wearing like a sun hat when I'm outside, like a big-brimmed sun hat. I, I look like an idiot, and I don't care. I, I'm at that point where I think I don't really care – I randomly ordered some Metamucil off Amazon and started putting it in my post-workout shakes. What? Well, I saw – this is what happened. Metamucil? Yeah, I I saw it on a commercial. I was like, oh, man, I I wonder if I have enough fiber in my diet. Now, you know, my my, my bowel movements are regular. Like, we're all good here, guys. But I was like, well, maybe maybe I need a little more fiber. Nice. So sure. I just sure. I, I threw it into a couple of post-workout shakes, didn't notice it at all. And I was like, well, that can't be that bad for me. Let's just roll. So now I'm wearing a sun hat outside. I'm taking Metamucil. And now my wife and I have become avid pickleball players, <laughs> which is basically, if you don't know what pickleball is, it's, it's big ping pong or mini tennis, however you want to see it. But it's for old people. That's what it's for. So this there weekend, pickleball courts all over Florida. So exactly, and and Arizona because Arizona, when I was in, Arizona, yeah. and you know what, everybody loves to tell you it's the fastest growing sport in the country, right? And that what it, they all say? Yes, it because is. old That's people can it is, right? the country is getting very old, and old people still want to do stuff, and they can't move anymore. And young people, as we're learning, are getting older by the day too, right, Gabe? Exactly. So today, you know, we we had a couple friends over. 
Um, and it was, we were socially distancing and all this, that, that stuff, but I was playing pickleball while wearing the sun hat. <laughs> and I had a moment, I had just a moment of clarity. Like we were dominating by the way, my wife's she's, she's pretty damn competitive and she's a pretty good pickleball player. But I just had this moment where I like stopped and I was like, ah, this is what you are now. Here we go. Let's roll. You probably saw a picture of yourself. I think you need to embrace it and get a pair of tall socks with the, uh, the double stripes on top and some all white new balances and wear those with your shorts and you're all set. Just fully embrace just cruisers, baby. That's it. So do you, gotta do do you have your own pickleball court? Or do you I, go? I do to not. A... Uh, we went to uh, my father-in-law has a tennis court, which oh. now that he oh. has gotten up there, they have painted pickleball lines on it. We okay. got like, the mobile net, so you can set them up. And yeah, we had a nice little round robin pickleball with you know, of course, some some beverages were consumed. Yeah, but of it was a it, it's a fun game, and there is this place that's going in off of. Now it is on the American Fidelity land, but you know it is what it is. It's it's going in, you know, right off Britain and Broadway Extension. It's called Chicken and Pickle, and I'm excited for it because you can combine fried chicken and pickleball. At that point, guys, I will be at least a 75 year old man mentally, so I will be very excited for that establishment to get going. Okay, so I got two questions because that that sounds interesting and. I would be willing to take up pickleball, at least try it, okay? So I'm, I don't think that that makes you as old as that hat that you posted on social media clearly <laughs> makes you a very old man. I won't go there, but you, there's a couple of places that aren't the same as what Gabe said, but in the same genre. One, and I want to know if either of you have done this, the axe throwing, I noticed when I had moved to Arizona, had gotten big. So I'm wondering if either of you have done axe throwing and they also had this in Arizona, a place that was a shooting, a shooting range and also a bar all in one. I never actually went, but I thought that was fascinating how that could possibly work that you could. I'm sure you'd have to shoot before you drink, but just the whole concept of having booze and guns in the same place. I never Wilshire. quite understood and yeah. I never walked hey, in. But have so you go been ahead. To have you been to Wilshire Gun, Teddy? Yeah. It's the same yeah. thing, same concept. It's great. Yeah, yeah it's great. You just um, – just exactly what you said, Dusty. As soon as you go in there, you forfeit your, um, your right to go back there and, and start shooting away. But that's a lot of fun. I'll tell you, I'm always on the lookout for sports I can play while I'm holding a beverage in my hand. So I'm going to have to give pickleball a try. But the axe throwing is cool. That's fun. It's great. You've thrown axes yeah. as well? Yep. Okay. Well, I mean, that doesn't surprise me about Teddy at all. He's, he's, a, we were talking about this. Yeah, why is before it a big we... deal now? I've been throwing axes my whole life. I That's... didn't mean at your house. <laughs> I meant at an establishment where you went and paid and actually, you know, it was a thing where you went and threw axes. I, I've seen those places. I just, I don't know. Too many kids, is I guess. I don't have If you time. show up there with your own uh, double bladed axe to throw. <laughs> It's like showing up with your own bowling ball, right? <laughs> right. It, yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You show somebody shows up with their own bowling ball and you're just randomly going bowling on like a Tuesday night. 
That's intimidating. I'm not going to lie. Someone shows up. It, it's got their name on it or something. If someone shows up to an axe-throwing bar with their own <laughs> axe, I want, I want nothing to do with that human being. I'm going to be like, dude, really? You're that into axe-throwing? By the way, Ted's a very good bowler, too, just for those of you guys at home. No, just good at true. everything. I was, I, nice. I was decent. You have your own ball, point. don't you? You have your own balls, don't you? I I was gifted one Thank one time. You. I've never used Dave, it. Dave, you hear that? Thank I've you. Nev- he has never his own used ball. It one time. He has his own ball. I'm a That's house ball guy. Never get a <laughs> house ball. You've never used the bowling ball that someone gave you? Is it displayed? Mm-hmm. I I don't even think I have it anymore. Oh wow. It's That's just disrespectful. That, it's like I yeah, I don't know what happened to it. I think we misplaced it or we must have not made it in the move. You feel bad, but <laughs> just thanks, man. Things I don't happen. bowl enough to uh, require my own ball. Yeah, uh, I haven't been bowling in so long. All right, boys, let's jump right into it. Uh, we're going straight in to FGTB football guys talking basketball. Uh, like I said, we just watched episodes five and six of The Last Dance, and boy, did a lot happen. You, you start off with episode five. It's still so crazy to me that Jerry Krause just said, Phil's not coming back. He's not coming. They're having all this success. They're going for the second three-peat. And to think of something like that happening today, it would, it would blow our minds. The amount of blowback that a guy like Jerry Krause that a general manager would get would be unbelievable. I mean, there's no way that would happen today, especially with how much power – the players happen or the players have in the NBA now it it started right there in episode five and I just kept shaking my head and then it went straight into some of the coolest footage behind the scenes footage I think I've ever seen you had Jordan talking about Kobe Bryant which was so cool and that clearly means a lot more now but him and Magic Johnson joking around and Larry Bird coaching that all-star team that Jordan was on. It, it was just awesome footage. And stuff that I, I wish I'd seen that before because those clearly legends when they were playing against each other. And Jordan a little younger, so he's still playing while those guys are moving on into coaching and into media. And it was just really cool to see that stuff. No, I, I agree. Um the first thing you talked about, the Jerry Krause stuff, if anything, nowadays we've gone too far the other direction, right, to where a team will hang on to their stars and maybe hang on to a coach well past their prime just kind of, you know, as, uh, as you know, that's just kind of the thing to do. Whenever you've got your guys, you stay with them and you ride it as long as you can. Then they take the farewell tour when it's all over and they're past their prime and off they go. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's – a team which they weren't at their prime, but they're still good enough to to compete and and hopefully win a championship. To think about blowing that up before the season even starts is is unreal. I thought one of the the interesting things in episode five is we got to kind of see the beginning of the Air Jordan deal, and you know that was interesting how they lured him out there and he wasn't going to go, and you know Nike was still just a startup, and I thought this. This was crazy, and I know you guys uh, heard these numbers too, but, you know, whenever he finally signed with Nike and they did the Air Jordan deal, 
their goal was to sell 3 million in Air Jordans by year four, and they sold 126 million in year one. Unbelievable. I mean, really, it sounds like, and I don't know all, all everything about Nike at that time, but if, if they did that much and when they were just a startup, it's like they have almost everything they have now because of Jordan getting the ball rolling that big for them that early. That was my biggest takeaway of that, Ted, was that, um, you know, we've always known that the Jordan brand is so big at Nike, but really you can say that Nike is successful because of Jordan, plain and right. simple. Without him, maybe it never happens. And, hey, what about the uh, forward thinking they had as a company to say, we're going to put everything we have in this guy? You want to talk about putting your money down and saying, we're going to go for it and hitting – just like you said, man, expected to sell three million, and I thought they said the first year, but the first four years they sell 126 million dollars worth of shoes in the first year. I also thought Converse ran the NBA, like they were showing those commercials. All the faces of the NBA are with Converse, which seems kind of crazy now, or when we grew up, especially as and, bad as those shoes looked. I know. <laughs> and then, and then what Jordan said he wanted to really go with Adidas. And so Nike was like an afterthought. And what it was his parents, it was his mama saying, Michael, listen to what these guys have to say. These guys have a real offer. And and the rest is history, plain and simple. Is that and the I, best I, 250K ever oh spent on an endorsement deal by Nike? Oh my Talk God. about return on investment. Woo. The ROI, Ted, you're, you're a financial man. You, you can do the numbers. I don't know what what Nike's valued at today, but <laughs> I would say they well, did pretty well. He's getting it on the back end. I saw that he made $130 million last year on every year. It, 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 it's it's just kind of, it continues to keep rolling. All right. So a couple of things that stood out to me, you know what this thing continues to remind me of, and I knew it, but like to see it is just, it's so good to get the refresher. Michael Jordan was the ultimate competitor. I loved the behind-the-scenes All-Star game. He didn't want Larry to coach him because he still he still compete. When, when when did you see when Magic came in the locker room? He's like, "Get your ass out of here!" You know what I mean? He's like, "Because he, he, he was still mess from the with West." The Western he's still Conference. seeing exact. I mean, just like the dude was and, and talking about Kobe to those guys. Like young guy knew he thought he was slick, thought he was coming up. He wanted to go take it from him, and I just no matter if it was his last year, no one he's he's going to be done afterward. Um, in his all-star game, whatever it was, the guy was the ultimate competitor, I feel like, at every turn of the way. How about those practices on the dream team, though? Oh, that man. was um, – what oh, I forgot. What did Magic say to him? Magic said to him, like, basically, are you going to play today or something like that? And then he said he just flipped a switch, and bam, it was over. And I remember they, what they said. They said when they left that practice and they got on the bus, th there was a – wasn't just an alpha. There was an alpha, alpha that Michael left no doubt in anyone's mind he was operating on a completely different level. And to hear, to see it, to see the behind-the-scenes footage of it happening part. and to hear the people talk about it, I just that, – that it, stuff was awesome. And that, that was badass. And we haven't seen stuff like that. I like that a lot. That, that practice, right, that Monte Carlo, you know, whatever, you know, fake game, whatever you want to call it, I mean, that's the thing of legends, right? We, we've all heard that story from someone in one way or another about those Dream Team practices, but about that one in particular. And the fact that we just got to see some of the footage, 
I was sitting there just shaking my head going, this is one of the coolest damn things I've ever seen. I mean, they've got Magic, they've got Magic Johnson on film throwing the ball into the fucking stands. <laughs> and I, I was just like, this is unbelievable. How about, you know, they're up on him and he starts talking trash to Jordan and Jordan's like, this is the 90s. Like, you're past your prime. You're done. You, you know that heyday. hurt Magic Johnson. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that was a cold-blooded line. How about whenever he's walking through the hotel and, like, I can imagine it's, – it's so funny how some things have changed but some haven't, right? If, if you know, a dream team, if they put it together now, which they kind of do every year, but the thing to talk about is, like, who gets the last shot, right? And so, Ahmad Rashad, he's walking through the, the hotel lobby. He's like, who would take the last shot? George's like, what? Who would <laughs> take a, me? That's a Are stupid question. Like, that's a stupid question. I'm, I'm offended yeah. that you would even ask me that. So, yeah, I, I thought that was great. Do you guys – do you think you hate anyone as much as Michael Jordan hates Isaiah Thomas? Ooh. Holy hell. And it was interesting because it has always been pinned on Michael Jordan. Every time – Let me tell you it, something. It comes Don't up even it, start he, that. Michael Jordan didn't want that dude on the team, and he didn't get put on the team. I don't care what that thing says. I know they showed the beef. Magic and Isaiah, I believe, are friends. And I know that they, they mentioned that, and they try to not put on Michael. At that point in time, I think if this documentary shows us anything, whatever Michael Jordan wanted, Michael Jordan was getting. And whatever he didn't want wasn't going to be there, and he wasn't going to have to deal with it. So Isaiah Thomas may have been an ass, and everybody may have hated him. But he wasn't on that dream team, at least because I feel like I have common sense, because Michael Jordan didn't want him on the dream team. It, it's crazy how time and time again, Jordan, whether or not he creates these things in his mind, whether he's got to use something Jerry Krause said about a guy or any slight that he could find to fuel him, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, just in episode five, he talks about wanting to just destroy Clyde Drexler because people were mentioning that, that he was kind of <laughs> yeah. similar to him. They Poor Tony Kukoc. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. Him and Scottie Pippen straight up bullied him at that Olympics. I mean, the fact that he was that competitive all the time. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I really am not sure with – how people grow up now, I, I don't know if guys can be that competitive anymore because it's, it's all about, hey, let's be nice and sportsmanship and all this stuff. And dude, Jordan just wanted to kill everyone that he felt slighted by. I, I just don't know if that mentality exists anymore. I, I'll tell you what is that I've learned a lot is Scottie Pippen's kind of the same way. Right. right. I mean, he didn't have the the microphone or the camera in front of him as much, but I've noticed that he's saying a lot of the same things that Jordan is, and then they'll ask Jordan about it. And he's like, "Yeah, well, I don't know about that." But I mean, they were both uh, incredibly. I mean, it's it's honestly like the best pairing of of players you could ever ask for. I mean, the competitive nature, the drive. I mean, I don't know. It's it's a lot of fun. But. Hey, so so I got one thought on Jerry Krause, as you mentioned when we started. Here's what I don't understand about Jerry Krause, and we, we've known about it from the very beginning of this documentary, right? But I think it really – the whole Tony Kukoc situation kind of reintroduces uh, it. It's like Jerry Krause's obsession 
with trying to be the key reason they had so much success. It's as if he could not just understand or welcome, embrace how great Michael Jordan was and just say, you know what? Sometimes when you got the best damn player that's ever lived, it's pretty good to be – it's pretty easy to be me. And the reality is Jerry Krause made a lot of good decisions, right? Jerry Krause, he drafted Scottie Pippen. I mean, I think even the Tony Ku coach, even though the way he went about it was wrong, the fact that they acquired him at some point, he was a very talented guy. But they moved Charles Oakley. They brought in Bill Cartwright. He made a lot of moves on the roster that were good. He had this obsession, and you heard it in this, in this episode five, when they interview him, and he, he is just obsessed with wanting the organization to get the credit. He says, that, oh, this is not about any one player. It's just not about these players. It's this organization. And as great as this team is, I think this organization is even better. It was like this, this fight for who had more piece of the pie of the success. And it's like, shut up, you dumbass. You, you've got greatness going on here. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Enjoy and instead it, of trying to be the captain of everything, it's like, be like I, I don't get that. I don't understand that part of him. Right. It'd be like the, uh, the jockey uh, jumping off a secretariat and trying to take the credit for the Triple Crown win. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. this is all me, baby. Horse ever. Just yeah. let the thing run. You know what I'm saying? But yes. uh, one more thing I wanted to actually, two things. But so the Reebok deal at the Olympics, uh, you know, whenever Jordan He's was wearing the, flag. the logo and everything. So, this is this is how and I, I had forgotten all about this, but as a kid, whenever this was going on, it was like Reebok was let's call it trash, right? If you didn't have like the Nikes or the Jordans, like the Reeboks were trash. But Jordan was so big that I the signed only with Reebok. Way my rookie year in the NFL. Thanks, Ted, for my boy, Dusty. We all were. Uh, Price was right, baby. Thanks, Ted. But here's the thing: Jordan was so cool that it actually, for a small time, was cool to wear the Reebok stuff if you hid the logo as a kid, like during that time, whenever that wow. was going on. I, I was like, I can remember we were all like trying to get Reebok stuff and hide the logo. It was like a, I don't know, it was crazy. Uh, I, I thought that was, you know, right now, and I'm, I know that was probably, I was too young, but it was probably a huge deal then, but could you guys see anyone else being able to get away with that without being oh. absolutely slaughtered by the media? I mean, just imagine what people would say about LeBron James if he did something like that right now. Right. Classless. I mean, he just, it, it's he's so greedy does he not already get enough from nike like it would just be the blowback would be unbelievable in the age of social media which i think those guys because of like that moment have probably learned to before they ever sign up for something like that like this is this is negotiated beforehand not as we're about to walk out and get the medal no uh, as, as, far, as far as jordan's shoes go uh ted um you know, the, the statement was made in there that I think Jordan made sneakers fashion. Mm -hmm. And his sneakers just made me upset as a child because we couldn't afford Jordans. And so I always saw them, and I thought they were so cool. I finally started mowing yards, and I could afford, like, Converse. So I wore, like, the LJs or the KJs. Though I knew they weren't that cool, they were still, like, 50 bucks cheaper than Jordans. So I used to always try to downplay how cool Jays were. 
knowing that they were the most uh, badass you're just like yeah, yeah. No, i'm more yeah, of a guy no, I want the, all i wanted were some That's jays so but good. i could never get them man never you know get them. i don't you ain't got to tell me i'm i was the kid uh all the way up until right before high school wearing pro wings uh on the football field the cheap <laughs> cheapest cleats you could ever imagine buying that would fall apart they were pro called wings. pro wings pro wings you can remember them, they that. sound Payless. cheap as hell Oh, they were. I if I would have thought I should have like signed a deal with Pro Wings whenever I went to the NFL. Well, well, if it if it makes you, if it makes you guys Reebok. They might as well have been Pro Wings. Hey, so this is a true story. I mean, you know, Reebok's off for me, and like what people don't get is football players. They don't get crazy cake like basketball endorsement money. You know, Jordan. Obviously, we're watching how the entire industry started with these type endorsement dollars, but basketball players, even baseball players, I think the fact that when you have a helmet on, it covers your face and it just, the, uh, being well, you're out there with so, you're, you're one of 22 on the field. It's, at any it's given different. Time. It's just different. So obviously basketball is number one with shoes, especially, uh, but even baseball players, I think get bigger endorsement deals than football players. Uh, but for us, like whenever I first came out, you know, Reeboks offer me like five more thousand dollars just in merchandise, no cash, <laughs> no cash, just merch. But I'm like, damn, man, five thousand dollars worth of stuff. That's for real. Until I got the stuff, tr not trying to just kill Reebok, but the stuff just it was it was it not was great. second level. Not great. So as soon as soon as that deal was up, I took the much less second deal for Nike. And it was one of the better decisions I've made. So, and then they hit you. It's it it upsets you whenever you you order all this stuff, and it's like, cool, I got all my my Nike gear. And then they hit you with that ten ninety nine at the you end gotta, of the year. Then you got to pay taxes on it. See, right. one way to avoid I'm that, guys. One way to avoid it entirely: just never get offered a cleats deal or apparel <laughs> deal by anyone because you come into the league undrafted. That's the that's easiest the, way to do that's it. That's another one of the benefits that's of a, uh, going undrafted. That's a, right? that's a plus. Now, episode se or episode six, I thought was really interesting because I, I thought they did a great job of capturing just how famous Michael Jordan was mm -hmm. and the toll that that amount of fame took on him and, and you got to remember guys this is this is all before twitter and instagram and the camera phone and there were still that many people showing up knowing where he was going to be it it was unbelievable to me but clearly they dove into michael jordan his gambling habit in this episode but thank god they did because we got introduced to that security guard with the Jerry Curler, with the Jerry Curl mullet that beat him and whatever. I'm not sure. Was it if the tossing quarters, man? Tossing quarter is it closest to the wall? Is that the yep. rule? Mm -hmm. So simple game. When he hit him, when he hit Michael Jordan with the Jordan shrug and took his money. <laughs> That was an iconic moment in television. He said, George said, oh, you just roll it up there. He said, I'm going to roll this money right into my pocket. That was so good. <laughs> How about the hair, though? I mean, Unreal. come on now. Luscious. Lattice. I mean, that is. It's like, it's Kenny G meets Kenny Powers, I think. <laughs> that, you know what that reminded me, though, Ted? I don't know if it's the same for you or Gabe. Is It reminded me of a locker room because I don't know how your locker rooms were. 
but a lot of the locker rooms I were in, everybody was always betting on something. Uh, shooting, I remember hey, shooting tape into the trash can. That was like the number one betting practice. Game. Every day after practice, hundred bucks a shot, uh, ankle tape into the trash can. And if you had wrist tape too, you may lose or win 400 bucks sitting right there after practice. And that's just kind of, I don't know, that's just the way it was, but that, that reminded me. And I think it's a, the fact that people have probably a decent amount of cheddar, but just the competitive nature. And you see that with Michael Jordan. And obviously I think it kind of illustrated he took it to completely different heights. But you know what I'll say to that? If he's got the money, I, I don't ever understand that. Why everybody wants to try to get in other people's business and try to tell them what they need to do or don't need to do with their money. Uh, I mean, I think Charles Barkley said a long time ago and said it best, it's only a, a problem gambling if you don't have the money to pay the bet. I don't think Michael Jordan ever came near a problem of not being able to cover a bet, nor do I ever think that he ever showed up and didn't perform at peak condition regardless where he had been the night before. So I thought that was – I was glad that they didn't shy away from that because that was – we all know books were written, things were said, and that's a part of who Michael Jordan was. Uh, but you could tell, as Gabe kind of said, at the end of that year number three, that was eating at him. And clearly that played a huge role into why – the guy stepped away from basketball after they won that third title. But um, it, was, it was interesting that they, they took that shot of his life. But um, like somebody said in there, everybody was always looking for a piece of Michael. I know that was later on at the very end of his career when you could tell he was sitting in that hotel room. And that's what was crazy when they showed like his day. Starts in the hotel room, then he leaves. And it's like smoking the, a cigar on the couch. Because that's the only place that he could get free. Right? And what do you sit there and say, I can't wait for this shit to be over. And it's like, this guy is the biggest celebrity in the planet. And all he wanted is for it to be over. That's how much, at the end, it just ate at him. And he just wanted it to go away and be able to live his life. Just crazy. A couple of things. Number one, I think I probably could have got hustled by Slim Bowler or whatever the guy's name was. Oh, yeah, the golf uh, guy. If he take your money. He does not look like a scratch golfer, okay? <laughs> that guy looks like a million things other than a scratch golfer. Um, but the other thing was, you're right, Dusty, the, like when you walk into a NFL locker room, you guys remember in Vegas vacation, the casino they go to where they're like playing war and guess the number behind his back? That's basically yeah. what a NFL <laughs> yes, locker room yes. is. It's like these yes. guys are th these guys are, are, are shooting for tape balls <laughs> over here for a hundred. If you want to go paper rock scissors, you go right over there. It's a it's a hundred dollars a shot. Uh, they're tossing corners or quarters over in the corner. That's essentially it's like a poor man's casino. Anything that's post practice. That, that's not even a gambling night. There's that's always post practice action. There's always a group of guys playing spades <laughs> somewhere in the locker yes. room. But, yeah, man, kind of missed that. But, you know, I, I will say I had very good gambling luck when it came to uh, the people I would go against in NFL locker rooms. I usually came into a calculated situation. I, I would not set myself up for failure. Now, now, one thing that I don't know why it stood out to me so much in Episode 6, The Last Dance, but why is it so satisfying for me to see Michael Jordan in a training room just drinking Miller Lite? I, I don't know why. It, I know, it sounds like it was his beer of choice, like he was drinking it after he won the titles and stuff like that. Maybe he was sponsored, sponsored and I, I just don't remember that or don't know. But there was something so relatable 
to the most famous guy on planet Earth, a guy that is larger than life, millions of people want a piece of, like they said. He's just sitting there cracking a cold one like the rest of us, and it's Miller Lite. I, it, hey, it, that, I don't that know what – it was so relatable, though. Is worth – I don't know how much money to Miller Lite even today, the fact that that's going to be in that, that documentary because everyone's going to be talking about it. Um, that scene – is Scottie Pippen said the thing that every athlete at any level has always thought. He's like, man, this is all we can think about in the fourth quarter. Yes. <laughs> and then I like what Scotty said. He's like, you know, turn that damn camera off. Yeah. He's like, I thought that was, uh, and then Michael was basically like saying, oh, they won't show anything that I don't want them to show. Um, but that was nice to see after a tough day at the office even the great, the greatest of all time sits back just like you and I, Ted. Maybe not Gabe because he's got a white claw, but sits back just like you and me and has oh. a nice cold domestic uh, beverage Phil, to Phil cap off a tough and, day. Uh, lit a stogie and cracked yeah, a beer and walked out of the room. I'm, I'm, I will fully admit I am, I am a red wine guy at night. I'm very sophisticated, guys. <laughs> very. I, I have a mature palate. What? What? Hey, Sue me. I'll tell you, my Nothing. dad uh, loves to drink the red wine at night, although it's probably a little <laughs> bit different than yours. He drinks the gallon Carlo Rossi that's like six ninety nine. Love that. <laughs> hey, love that. Is, is he still – is that still on um, – is that still part of the menu at the Layman House, Ted? I think so. I'm so pretty sure. What's great about that, Gabriel, is that was on, uh, on tap as well back in Circa – 2002 when i was frequenting the layman home uh sometimes ted things never change that's right but just last thought on episode six and then we will get you guys right to this gerald mccoy interview again the competitiveness of jordan whether it was gambling or him wanting to destroy dan marley simply because jerry krause thought he was a good defender (laughs) i it it continues it, – it's just astonishing, his level of competitiveness. Now, of course, his God-given ability and the work he put in to develop his skill set, but that competitive nature, it's, it's rare, man. And, and it it's, was – It's a psychosis, though. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, no, the guy's a psycho. It's awesome. Which, I mean, a lot of people that are highly successful, no matter what field it is, are – let's be honest, a bit psychotic, you know, right. uh, Nick Saban is kind of that way. He's, you know, how, how driven he is. I mean, you look at some people in, in like all kinds of business, St. Steve jobs, right. There, there's, there's a, a lot that's been said about uh, his approach and everything. So, I mean, he found a way to channel it and tie it up with his, his best talents is stuff that he could do on the basketball floor that no one else could. Yeah. And, one thing, just one takeaway from the night when Jordan turns or after the All-Star game and said, I'll see you down the road to Kobe Bryant. That was a moment. That, mm-hmm. that was one of those moments where you see those you, – you see something like that, and now with how it applies, boy, that, 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 was, that was one where you, you just get chills and you go, man uh, – those well, guys George been, spoke at Kobe's funeral. He talked about a lot great. of that, how at first he was really annoyed by it and, you know, thought that Kobe was, was coming after him. And, and 
Jacoby was just like so relentless in that pursuit of information that eventually he opened up to it and developed a great friendship. I thought that it was um, – I, I liked how they showed like when they were playing in the All-Star game and Kobe asked him about some footwork. And he said he broke it down for him right there and then basically said to him, if you ever need anything, just let me know. And then they had that interview of Kobe that basically said, I would not have won my five championships had it not been for his influence. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, even Kobe, who is the, you know, if it ain't Michael, the other alpha alpha in the room, and who isn't probably going to give a whole lot of credit to other people, he even, uh, you know, and I don't know when that was filmed, but he was even giving uh, Michael credit for his successes as a player later in his career. Which yeah, I, but- I wonder how much, you know, Phil was influenced on the way Kobe was saying that, well, here's how Michael was with his teammates. Here's what Michael did in practice and maybe brought uh, quite a bit of that out of Kobe. You know, just that's why it was such a a, a unique deal that whenever Phil went there and coached Kobe and a lot of the skill set was the same. Have you guys – did you guys see that video? It's ridiculous. Where it's ridiculous. It, just, it goes back and forth of the – crazy. Uh, Michael and just Kobe. doing the same exact yeah. moves. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. really cool. But – when, when a guy that was as accomplished and incredible as Kobe Bryant says something like, what you get from me is from him, that's uh, – I mean, that's all you need to know about Michael Jordan's legacy on the basketball court. Uh, one note uh, before we finish off FGTB, uh, the NBA – and this is no surprise, but the NBA postponed the lottery – and NBA Combine that was supposed to happen this month in Chicago. No surprise there, guys. Uh, I think we all anticipated that coming. Uh, I'm sure it will be done in some form or fashion. I mean, these teams aren't going to draft these kids without knowing a whole lot about them. We'll see. We'll see how that develops here down the road. I'm sure the NBA will get it figured out. All right, but one guy who the vast majority of our conversations – that I have with him, they, they center around the NBA. They really do. Anytime I talk to Gerald McCoy, that's usually the first thing we talk about. He, he is a guy that absolutely loves basketball. We even asked him about that. And this interview is absolutely fantastic. Gerald's one of the best when it comes to answering questions. And just a reminder, if you'd like to be our interview sponsor, just get in touch with us. We're open to anything. You know that. All right, we won't keep you guys waiting any longer. Here's Gerald McCoy. It is our pleasure to be joined by an OU legend. He is a six-time Pro Bowl defensive tackle that just signed a three-year contract with the Dallas Cowboys. He was personally responsible for making my life a living hell during practice the year I redshirted. Gerald McCoy is in the house, ladies and gentlemen. GK, how we doing, man? I am excellent. I am excellent. I am excellent. What's up, fellas? Man, you're looking good in that Cowboys uh, little cutoff hoodie there. I know, there. right? Check me I got, out, man. I, I got so many questions for you, GK, but yeah. uh, first and foremost, talk about what's on that shirt. I mean – I grew up in Dallas, a lifelong Cowboys fan, and I can tell you now living in Oklahoma, there's a ton of Dallas Cowboy fans in the Sooner State. How's that feel that you're going to be wearing that star on your helmet next season? 
Absolutely, man. It's uh, hard-pressed to be in Texas and really find a, a person that's not a Cowboys fan. You know, most of my my former teammates that I played with at OU are Cowboys fans. And, you know, they it's like it runs deep. And then growing up in Oklahoma City, either you grew up a Cowboys fan or you knew somebody who was a Cowboys fan. And I grew up a Cowboys fan, and I transitioned into like the Bucks. But originally it was the Cowboys because – there's two NFL teams that's close to Oklahoma, Cowboys and the Sooners. That's it. So, <laughs> that's all, seriously, that's all you got. The little, the little brother team that's in Stillwater, <laughs> we don't consider them much. So, but OU and Cowboys. So, to be able to play for the star, it's a dream come true, man. I'm going to have a blast with it. Well, you – I mean – you're at the point now, and you guys got some veterans, uh, defensive linemen on that group now. And yeah. we were talking about Neville Gallimore coming in and that youngster and how nice it is to go somewhere and there's a veteran that played at your school and there's someone that you feel like walking in the door that you've always got a – you already got a little bit of a kinship with. So what's that been like for you, just like in the progression in your career, going from, you know, rookie and now you're the guy that people come to, you know, asking for the ropes a little bit? Yeah, it's excellent, man. And uh, you know, it's crazy. Is I uh, he called me today. He called me today, and we had a good conversation. You know, he's he's. Uh, I heard you guys talking about him, and uh, one thing, Dusty, that you said is going into the NFL locker room is not what everybody thinks it is, man. It's hard. You don't know anybody, and if you don't know anybody, it makes it even worse. It's it's better to go into an NFL locker room at least knowing one person or having some type of support. And uh, I believe when I got to Tampa, Mark Bradley was there still. I think he might have still been there. Either he was there or he was there and then got released, but he wasn't there long. So that's as close as I got, you know. And then I had uh, – I had um, – uh, not Dusty. Davin. I had Davin Joseph. But he was on the offensive side. So he couldn't really teach me much about being a defensive lineman. And as bad as it may seem, the vets there, I got drafted third overall to come in and take this fight. They wasn't really trying to help me. Right. So uh, what I told Neville today is, man, listen, you are in a much better position than I was because I didn't have anybody to help me. I didn't have anybody to show me the ropes or teach me technique or teach me how to be a true professional. And, you know, he was a little nervous about calling me and really bugging me about asking questions. And I told him, I'm one of those vets who I will, you a young guy or um, a rookie that's asking me questions or coming to me for advice. They'll never get on my nerves or never bother me because I didn't get that. And I vowed that I would never be that vet that wouldn't, show guys the ropes or give guys any advice as much as they need. And I found out that I was the vet. I'd say it was probably 2014, 2014 or 15. A guy came to me and asked me um, about how he should be, have his relationship and getting married and stuff and being in the NFL as a married man. I'm like, geez, am I that guy? <laughs> hey, gra <laughs> hey, hey, grandpa, how do I do this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, am I, am I him already? 
man, all right, I guess I'll be him. Yeah, you're 26, and you're the old man in the group. Yeah, I'm like, that's what I said. That's why I told Neville that I said I never had a vet that really was a vet to show me the way. I had to grow into being that. So when guys come to me, I'm more than willing to help them because I didn't get it. Now, GK, you spent the nine seasons in Tampa. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were, you were the man there. I remember when we went and came and played y'all, you, there was a damn picture of you on the side of the stadium. And I mean, the <laughs> entire side of the stadium. How, how different was it this season in Carolina? How, how big of a change was that for you? Was that difficult to adjust to, man? Well, I mean, all, anybody who knows me knows my personality and I can fit in anywhere. And it really, I feel like that's the damn truth. (laughs) I feel like when when the circus travels, in regards to where the circus goes, it's gonna be the circus. So, regards to where I go, I'm gonna be me. And people always want to come see the circus. So I figure, with my personality and me being confident in my work ethic and what I've done over my career, the hardest transition was being away from my family. But being in a new locker room and learning new plays and stuff. I have four head coaches in Tampa. So learning a new playbook, check. <laughs> uh, four new regimes, that means all new players. That's like 40 new players every time. So meeting all new guys, check. <laughs> like being a vet in the locker room, check. It was it was nothing new to me, man. Um, the funnest part of it was, was getting recruited again. I haven't got recruited since I was getting recruited to go to college. So that part was fun. All right, let's talk a little bit more about this upcoming season. Mike Nolan, what I've heard a lot of different things. He's typically a 3-4 guy, but I'm looking at some of the personnel. What you've done, you're more of a one-gap type of guy. Have you guys talked about scheme? And just with you going into year 11, uh, what do you have in the tank right now? You're looking good with that shirt off, but where are you at physically, and how do you think your body's going to be ready to go into your uh, season 11? Yeah, well, um, as far as Coach Nolan, you know, he's been typically a 3-4 guy. Um, With our personnel, we have 4-3 personnel. Um, We've kind of went over a little bit of what we've done, not really. Um, You know, we've been having these kind of virtual meetings. So they put in kind of fronts. So it's really a hybrid, you know, and for a guy like me, you bring in a guy in his 11th year, you don't want to bring him in and change what he does. Nope. So they're going to allow me, whether we're in a 3-4 or 4-3, I'm going to be the traveler three technique. I'm going to be allowed to get up the field and get in the backfield and wreak havoc, the same thing I've always done. So um, it's more of really a hybrid. We'll be in some 3-4, we'll be in some 4-3s. It's kind of week to week. You know, the league is evolving. A lot of zone read stuff and people – change what they do with these fronts, uh, 70% of the defenses, you're going to be in sub. It's rare you see people in base anymore because of the evolution of the league. Um, and as far as me, last year is probably the heaviest I've ever been. And what happened was actually when I did the vegan diet, I was overcompensating with my protein and um, I was kind of overeating. So I, I got – I got heavy, and then when I got off my vegan, transitioning back in, I didn't transition well back into eating a certain way, so I gained a lot of weight. And uh, that's as heavy as I ever been, man. I had a lot of issues with my knees. Uh, my tendonitis was acting up more than it has. Um, so 
all year I kind of had to manage my knees because they were really hurting. I'm like, dang, am I about to be done? And then I realized, Frank, I'm too big. <laughs> like, you got to lose the weight. So I've actually, at the most I've lost, you know, I got back up probably three or four pounds. But at the most, I've lost 20 pounds. So I feel great now. I'm running well. My knees don't hurt. Um, I'm able to lift and work out like I always have been. So I feel good. But, you know, you never know until you get in training camp, until you get in the thick of the season, you don't really know how your body feels. But as of right now, I feel great. You mentioned you liked uh, the, the feeling of kind of getting recruited again. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you take us behind the scenes a little bit and, and what that was like this time around and, and why you ended up in Dallas? Yeah, so – um when I as far as me ending up in Dallas this was more of just free agency but me ending up in Carolina remember I got released late into the offseason I got released it was almost vet veteran minicamp coming up so when I got released it was unexpected so I had 15 15 teams call me and we, By that point, everyone knows the strength and weakness of their roster. and Right, right. So it's not like you go off, uh, you know, free agency. You start from the time the last snap is played, you start evaluating. Okay, this is what we need. This is what we need. Well, free agency wasn't technically over. It was over. But the draft had passed. You're going in the veteran minicamp. You pretty much know who's on your team. So now you've been able to see, hey, this is a need. We can, If we get this guy – he fits right in with what we try to do. So, you know, we kind of weeded the teams out. And then um, we set visits up. So set up a visit. And the first place I went to was Cleveland. I mean, obviously Cleveland last offseason was very appealing. And Cleveland was one of the first teams to call. So I went down there to check them out, see what they were about. Um, I had already set up a visit to Baltimore. After I visited Baltimore, I was actually on my way home and it was going to be out of Cleveland and Baltimore. I was on the flight to come home and had a delay and actually had to uh, stay in Detroit coming home because all our flights got canceled. Well, on the way home, I got a call from my agent said, there's a dark horse team and it's Carolina Panthers. I'm like, well, freak, I've been seeing Carolina's defense be great. for a lot. I mean, I played against them twice a year. So I went and checked them out, man. Went to lunch with the players. Met with um, all the coaches, went to the facility, and it just honestly was the perfect fit for me. And a lot of people will think this is weird, but even though the season didn't go as planned, you know, I went there saying I wanted to go to a contender. I wanted to go to a winner. Well, it's hard to do that when your starting quarterback gets hurt, um, the starting D tackle gets hurt, um, your tight end goes down. You have a lot of different people get hurt. Yeah, we had coach get fired and just a whole lot of nonsense took place. But as far as atmosphere, professional environment, city, fans, everything, it's the funnest year I've, I've had since I've been in the league. Just overall atmosphere, it was just – it was incredible, man. I, had, I really enjoyed it. Now, now, GK, you've gotten so used to the NFL schedule, right? Season, mm -hmm. off-season, into OTAs, camp, repeat, right? How weird 
has this whole thing been with the coronavirus and how it has affected your schedule? And I saw your article in the Players' Tribune. Really Great insightful, article, man. Um, how has your family handled this whole thing? Yeah, well, the blessing for me is I went through the lockout. So in the lockout in 2011, this same thing happened. And when we got finally got cleared and were able to go back, um, it's no different now. The only difference is everyday life has stopped as well. But back then in the lockout, everyday life has stopped, but facilities were closed, same way they are now. So you got to find a place to work out, find a way to be in shape, and then show up when they say and be ready to go. Same thing now. Um, when they call us, we just got to show up and you got to be prepared. As far as my family goes, um, this whole, excuse me, virtual school thing has been different, but uh, <laughs> seriously, you know, you got to get up. They have little school from 8 to 2.45 every day. They do PE, they do um, music, they do uh, Spanish, they do drama dance, they do all this stuff virtually. And it's on Zoom. It's 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 crazy to see. It's incredible. They got a real curriculum. You got to turn, submit the work, and all. It's like it's different. But everybody's the thing that everybody is doing in my house is we all are getting closer, spending more time together than we usually could. Because my oldest, he played football and basketball. My second oldest, she played softball. She ran track. She played basketball. She played all types of sports. The twins, one of the twins played football. One was in cheerleading. And then my one-year-old actually went to school. So we were all over the place. We were doing all this. And I was in Carolina. So all of this stuff was, you know, just had us all over the place. We didn't get to spend as much time together as we wanted to. But we're able to do that now. Um, I'm learning more about myself. I'm not really a good cook. Not at all. <laughs> really struggling in the kitchen right now. Really struggling. I thought that I was decent, but now that I'm really having to cook more meal, I'm really having well, a hard time. Are you, are you like eyeballing stuff? Are you using cookbooks? Or are you just kind of winging it? There's all kinds of YouTube videos, man. You can yeah, like TikTok nah, some of them nah, recipes, I'm man. Really, no, I'm really winging it right now. Like I'm just going off the seasonings I've seen people use, and I'm like, let's see what happens. I'm real hit or miss right now. I've had a lot of hits, but my misses are not great misses. I'm talking about over the backboard into the stands misses. <laughs> they're, they're bad. They're not good. That's well, good, good stuff. Thing. It's a good thing you're not doing the vegan diet anymore because that's even more difficult to cook. Oh, no. Nah. There's no way I could be vegan right now. No way. Now, you vegans? Hey, listen, more power to you right now during this quarantine? No, not doing it. GK, so I know you're a big fan of the Avengers, mm -hmm. um, and I've never watched them. And one thing, like you said, getting closer with your family, with your kids, I've done that, and they've gotten me into this whole, uh, you know, we're watching the Iron Man, we're watching Thor, Captain America, Avengers, and I had never watched them, and so I'm kind of getting into it with them. Have you come across anything like that that maybe you hadn't really been into before this, but now you've had time? and you've stumbled upon different things during this quarantine, any newfound enjoyments in your life? You know what? Most people would laugh at this, but you know what? something I've been doing? I always play video games. I always play video games. Um, but the one game I never played ever of all the games was Madden. Never played Madden. 
You can't get me off of it now. <laughs> I literally play Madden every single day. I walked in my – this is how it started. I walked in my son's room, and he was playing with – I think it was like – it wasn't the Cowboys. It was the Texans, I think it was. Or the Seahawks. It was the Seahawks. But the child Watson was at quarterback. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> why is the Watson? Did you make a trade? And he's like, no, no, no. And then I look, uh, Julio Jones is their receiver. I'm uh -uh. like, what is going on? And he said, it's a fantasy draft you can do on Madden. And I'm like, so you just, it's, he says, literally a draft. You go to the draft, you try and put together the best team, and you play a season. So I was like, hmm, I'm going to try that. I'm on like my seventh draft. <laughs> <laughs> Undefe I mean, best record you can have, undefeated every year, win tons of Super Bowl. Like, it's just so Madden. Out of all the things, is Madden. I didn't think I would like it this much, but I really like Madden. Well, maybe you've got some uh, player personnel in your future once you're done playing. Um, I'll tell you what's funny. You know, a lot of guys feel like going close to home to play in the NFL is going to be something that's really cool. You're going to be back around, but – everyone starts asking for tickets. Have people already been hounding you about all the people you grew up with with tickets down there to the Cowboys games now that you're you know, at least in driving distance? You know what? What actually happened was is uh, we wasn't supposed to announce that I was signing with the Cowboys until everything had got cleared. But you guys know as well as I do, once somebody in the building knows, it's out. It's getting out. It's just how it works. And somebody texted me at like 11 at night and was like, Cowboys? And I'm like, huh? Wait, what? So um, I get on Twitter, and it's on Twitter, and it's on Instagram. I'm like, man, jeez. But what usually happens is when I sign somewhere or something big, like a new contract happens, my wife posted, or I'll post it. Well, neither one of us had posted, so a lot of my family didn't even know. Well, once they finally found out, and um, we knew we were signing with the Cowboys, but what we kept saying is, nah, we don't know yet. We haven't signed the contract. We don't know if we go to the Cowboys, you know, so kind of played it slow, played it slow. And then once it fish was official, my wife, when I tell you, my wife was an all-pro offensive lineman. She said, I'm telling everybody up front, don't ask us for nothing. I said, wow. Thank you. I mean, immediately, boom, the King Bay Matumbo blocked everything, everything. So everybody knows if you're going to come, we know it's close, but it's not that far away. Drive up, get your tickets, and we'll see you at before and after the game. Usually we have a suite. I'm working on getting a suite at Jerry's World, but – if you ain't in that little group of, I know I'm automatic to get tickets, then you probably not get them. Well, I look forward to seeing uh, your family in the suite uh, coming up in the fall. <laughs> Thanks for that, GK. Oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> last last well, one I got. I'll be there. Last one I got. <laughs> ten, ten years in the league, six Pro Bowls. Um, you were All-American from day one at Oklahoma. You've done it all except. Didn't quite win the chip in college, mm -hmm. and you hadn't made the playoffs yet. Now you're going mm -hmm. to the team of Dallas, and let's just face it, you guys got a hell of a roster. 
Yeah. How motivated are you personally to not just get into the playoffs, but ultimately finish your career and be able to win a championship? Uh, extremely, man. Uh, you know, at this point, I've made all the money I want to make. Uh, like you said, I've pretty much done everything. And uh, all that's left for me is to compete for a championship. And for me, I know my best days are behind me. I mean, father time is undefeated. However, mentally, I can get better every day. And what I can do is pass along knowledge to these young guys that do have these fresh bodies that can still pull trains and bench the world and they still can, you know, run faster than everybody. My knowledge is what's going to carry me, but I can pass it on to these young guys and show them how to be true professionals. Now, a lot of these young guys that I'm going to this locker room with, they have won more than me. But the difference is, even though you've won games, it doesn't mean you know how to be a true professional. And Dusty, you know, being a true professional and just being in the NFL are two different things. So my knowledge is what's going to help this team be able to learn how to grow up. Because realistically, a lot of Cowboys fans always have a lot of high expectations. But what is the stigma of the Cowboys? They get our hopes up, and then they let us down. It's always like that. Well, they have a great regular season to get in the playoffs and let us down. We have to find a way to get over that hump. And all that takes is learning how to be a true professional, coming together for one common goal, and that's to win a championship. And if I can do that, partnered with giving whatever I have left in the tank, I truly believe this team can compete. You know, we have all the pieces necessary. I'm a huge fan of Mike McCarthy. He is a Super Bowl winning coach. So right. we have everything we need to really make noise this year. Um, but it's going to take a lot of work. It ain't easy. And I'm really excited to get it going. Hey, what'd you think draft night? You know, a lot of people were thinking Dallas is going defense first, maybe take a defensive tackle, maybe take a rush guy, and then CD's right there at 17. And here you go, another sooner on offense. Pretty unexpected, but I bet you were excited about that. I was extremely excited. When we when CD wasn't gone by 15, I said he's coming to Dallas. I knew it. I just knew it. I had a feeling. I said, if he ain't gone by 15, going to Dallas, because I believe Denver had 15, and they took uh, Jerry Judy. Judy. Yep. And I said, you know what? Whoever goes, whoever doesn't go with this pick is going at Dallas. So when they took Judy, I said, boom, we got CD. And I was extremely excited, man, so happy. Um, I was actually a fan of Trevon Diggs, you know, come, I was like, you know, they had him ranked high and I watched him, um, last year and when we were able to get him, I'm like, how's he even still on the board? You know, we got Trevon Diggs and then, um, I'm just walking around and I'm, I was actually working out and, um, checking my phone, checking my phone and, I seen Neville pop up, and I'm like, man, listen, this can't be real. Are we really doing this? <laughs> well, all right then. And the thing is great is because you know the type of program they come from. We all know the type of program we, they came from. We know how they were coached, and we know that they were not able to slack and what type of players we're going to get. That makes it even more exciting. And, man, I really can't wait to get going. You, you mentioned the program they come from. Uh, it, it's been really cool to see you still so active 
with the Oklahoma program, especially since Bob moved on, who you and I, who all of us played for, and now that Lincoln has taken over, how have you developed that relationship with Lincoln Riley? Did he reach out to you? You reach out to him because it seems like you're you're still doing a lot of recruiting for the boys. Oh and yeah, Oklahoma. oh yeah. Um, the bridge to everybody is Coach Gundy. Coach Gundy is the bridge to everybody. Coach Gundy keeps in contact with all the players and make sure that, you know, anything they have going, he lets us know. So if we want to tweet about it or post it on our Instagram, he gives us links and make sure that we stay in the loop. Well, in the midst of that, I was able to come back to the spring game one year, and that's how I met Coach Riley. We exchanged numbers, and we've been in contact ever since. And sometimes he reach out to me. Sometimes I'll reach out to him. And really all it is is a mutual respect for him carrying on the legacy and him respecting me for the time that I put in while I was there. You know, you guys know I love my school. Y'all love the school. It's just that's the type of once a sooner, always a sooner. And we just have a different type of family atmosphere when you come through their program. And that's really all it's been, man. I just anything I'm a part of, I'm just loyal to. And I grew up an OU fan. Um, OU was my NFL team. <laughs> That's all I knew. I, so, you know. I met you when uh, you were still in high school. I remember the day, Jackie Ship, you walked out there wearing spring ball. And you walked out there and Coach yep. Ship was telling me and Tommy, he's like, hey, this kid, he's like, y'all don't understand. And you had, like, glasses and you were not yeah. looking as, as swelled <laughs> up as you are now. Oh, no, and I'm no. thinking, man, no, Jackie, Jackie don't even know. Hey. Jackie undersold well, you as big as anybody ever. But <laughs> I remember that day like it was yesterday, GK. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, and y'all were walking up the sideline, and nobody knew anybody on the team. And I was I was literally getting upset because I'm like, after you guys came over, it was like, who was that? I'm like, come on, man. You mean to tell me Dusty Dvorak and Tommy Harris just came over here and y'all don't know who that was? Like, you know, but I'm Frank. I'm a diehard OU fan, so I'm – I'm shaking. I'm nervous. I'm like, there's no way they about to come say something to me. No way they about to come speak to me. And y'all came and y'all were so cordial. And I was, honestly, that day motivated me more than you know, because one of my coaches said, you remember that feeling you had when Dusty and Tommy came up to you? Well, every time you don't do your extra rep, every time you slack, you're taking a step back from being in that spot. And I always thought about that. I always thought about that. And what really stuck in my mind is we came to watch you guys play one day, and y'all were warming up on the uh, in the end zone. And he said, you see how fast they move? Do you move that fast? And I'm like, well, Frank, if I ain't moving as fast as Dusty and Tommy, I'm not good enough. And I said, always, Dusty Tommy, Dusty Tommy, always. That, that was my motivation. Nonstop, nonstop. So, man, I appreciate that. You didn't have to do it. Well, you probably would have had up-downs if you didn't, but I still appreciate it. Much well, love, my man. He, yeah. Much love. He, he developed into uh, quite the player by his senior year because he beat the absolute shit out of me every single day. <laughs> I was still playing tight end, and I had to play scout team center because Jackie Ship made me. It was awful. You were so mean, but so nice yeah. at the same time. Well, I had to do what I had to do because, hey, Dusty, you know, if you don't go hard or get your steps to the ground. Give me a hundred. Gerald, give me a hundred. Pop right. with a hundred. <laughs> oh, you going to go easy on him? Right. It. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hey, you know what, though, GK? 
I'll say this. That man made us better. I give it up to Jackie Always. Shipp, man. That man, that man made us made us some I decent football players, man. To this day, to this day, and I call Coach Ship randomly if I have like have practice film and I'm still getting my feet in the ground and turning my feet over, I send it to him, and I tell him, Coach, the stuff that you imparted in me when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, I still use now that I'm 32. And people ask me. How do you get your stance like that? How are your feet like that? How you? And I say, my college coach. And I tell him, honestly, I don't believe I would have been the player I was if I went anywhere else. Coach Ship got that out of me. As crazy as he was, I always respect him and I always appreciate what he did. Now, GK, before we let you run, man, all we used to talk about when we were teammates was the NBA. Mm-hmm. How are you handling no NBA basketball going on right now? I'm struggling, man. man. I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. I am having a hard time right now. <laughs> I've been all I've been doing is YouTube and highlights. And my wife is like, Are you watching film? I'm like, no, Frank, I'm trying to entertain myself. <laughs> hey, that that last dance is fire though, man. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I love it, man. And and a lot of people, even people who always were fans of MJ, you're getting to see a different side of everything. And the great thing that the producers are doing is they're showing other teammates' backstories. Like, to be able to, in episode four, I think, or three, to be able to see Phil Jackson's background and be able to understand why he understands Dennis. Understood He's out there trying to throw down in Puerto Rico. I never would have thought that of Phil. Doing a bunch yeah. of drugs. <laughs> right. right. Like a guy, like the governor or the mayor is shooting the ref over a bad call. <laughs> and people are like, how is he handling Dennis Rodman? Well, he just witnessed a dang near murder in the middle of a game. He can handle a guy needing to go to Vegas. I promise you. GK, uh, thank you so much, man. As always, you're fantastic. Um, I just love the fact that you're going to be playing in Dallas for those beloved Cowboys. Bring them a championship, my man. Bring them a championship. Stay healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, GK. All right, appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you to Gerald McCoy for joining us. I mean, what an awesome interview. I don't know if really anything else needs to be said. He's clearly extremely excited for what they can do in Dallas, boys. He is, and I'm excited as a – uh, Cowboys fan, as a former Sooner defensive lineman who saw Gerald before he ever stepped foot on campus, as we talked about in the interview, what a great human being. And again, he, six Pro Bowls, I, I think he's got a legitimate chance, if he can finish strong here with Dallas, to be in a conversation as a potential Hall of Famer. And I, I just think uh, it couldn't happen to a better guy. And other Cowboys news, too? How about Andy Dalton? The Red Rifle like sat with the Cowboys. Yeah, I, I like hey, it. Seems smart, I, right? I thought that was one of the – I think that they have to be in the conversation as having one of the best backups and gives them some leverage with Dak. But uh, I thought that Cowboys continue with what's been a good offseason after a good draft was signing a, a quality backup quarterback in Andy Dalton. No trophies for it, but I will admit that Dallas is winning the offseason right now. They've, they've had a really good offseason uh, – Free agency, couple of home runs there. Uh, had a really nice draft and uh, picking up a, a really nice backup quarterback. That you never know, man. It, it may be one of those things where he never even factors in, 
or you could have that go down in, in training camp. You just never know, but to be able to pull that off, I, I think that's pretty big. Yeah, I, I think it's always always good to have a reliable, capable backup quarterback, especially, um, what, $3 million? I know it can be up to seven maybe with some incentives, but, hey, if Dak gets Best job up, in the world. If Dak gets – you know, banged up in one game and Andy Dalton wins you one game and that's the difference between having home field advantage in the playoffs and not, then it, it's worth every dollar. And, guys, I mean, I know this sound, would have sounded crazy a few years ago, but what if they don't figure it out? Like, I, I expect them to, right? I expect Dak to either sign that tender by July 15th or work out a long-term deal. But what if he doesn't? We've seen Le'Veon Bell. We've seen Melvin Gordon. I mean, it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility. And if you're a Cowboys fan, I think Dak Prescott is better than Andy Dalton. But you know what? I, I wouldn't feel terrible about putting a nine-year NFL vet uh, who's had, been on five different playoff teams, who's been a three-time pro bowler with that offensive line, that running back, and those wide receivers. Again, I like Dak as an option better. But to me, the Cowboys just gained a lot of leverage because you prefer to have Dak, but – before it was Cooper Rush, not not a nine-year NFL veteran that if they don't get a deal done, that's the next option for Jerry and Stephen Jones. Well, I, I, you're exactly right. Dallas has a lot of leverage. I just hope that Dak Prescott learned some, something from watching Le'Veon Bell pull the most amazing magic trick I've ever seen in my life, making $14 million disappear into thin air. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Hopefully, Dak Prescott doesn't go down that road. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Dak will do that. But it's certainly – I think it's a smart move by Jerry Jones, smart move by the Cowboys. Andy Dalton seems like a guy that will be great in the quarterback room, be a good locker room guy. Seems like a great decision, which makes me a little skeptical that it seems so right. But we'll see. Now, normally – we tend to start each one of these episodes with college football news because, you know, that's what we love talking about the most. We had to talk about the last dance. We had to let you guys hear from Gerald McCoy before we got to it. But we know why y'all are here. And there is more interesting news in the world of college football that came out late last week. And this is regarding the transfer exemption remember there's been this long discussion about a one-time transfer exemption where any student athlete in college athletics would be able to transfer and there'd be no penalty you don't have to sit out you don't have to worry about anything you get one redo right and it there's been a ton of momentum for this rule it is supposed to be voted on as early as this may it could be pushed through, but there was an interesting development late last week where the NCAA Board of Governors announced that even though even though it can still be voted on in May, they are going to recommend against the one-time transfer exemption right now because of everything that's going on with the coronavirus and how that could make it very difficult logistically with teams not being on campus with not with the coaching staffs not being on campus how would all of that work so it, in this day and age of let's do as much as we can for the players and let's give them as much flexibility 
as we can. I thought it was really interesting, guys, that the NCAA Board of Governors came out and said, hey, maybe not right now because of the current climate surrounding college athletics. Well, I, I think until – I get it. I actually think it's probably the right – I mean, it doesn't matter either way. Really, they're kicking the can down the road because they're going to have to make a determination at some point. But really, there's no rush right now because – no one knows exactly when or if we're going to get back to playing sports. So I think it just buys them a little bit of time for a situation that, quite frankly, they created on themselves. Uh, because here's the whole thing with this that, that, to me, just doesn't make sense. We, I hear from the NCAA all the time, whether it's, it's Title IX or it's this or it's that, they want to try to create equality and they want to make things fair. Fair, fair, fair is the word I hear all the time. Well, as the NCAA is currently constituted, as I'm telling you two, something you already know of all the NCAA sports there's five okay that have transfer restrictions and those five are football basketball women's basketball baseball and I believe hockey if I miss one of course of course you can throw it in there and I mean OU softball is no different right I mean they had a young lady who was in the circle last year in the World Series who the year before as a sophomore was a first team All-American at Arizona State so even the Oklahoma Sooners and Patty Gasso have understand and get to um, embrace uh, those rules. Yeah, Dusty, I didn't really see any OU fans asking any questions when G. Juarez was dealing there in the circle uh, during their run to the Women's College World Series. So it, that's why I thought it was really interesting, Teddy, that they would bring this up. And I understand there, there's some people that have problems with the one-time transfer exemption, most notably coaches. I do think they will address the cap of 25 scholarships, that scholarship limit for one year. That has to change if they're going to allow this type of mobility with the student-athletes. Sure. I, uh, I'm one of those people that's against it. Um, I, I think the, the NCAA, as, as Dusty was pointing out, kind of created this problem, and – they did that by being so restrictive, right? And, and, you know, the rules were so bad that you had all these outspoken people about how horrible and unfair it is. And now we're going the complete other way. And, I mean, I get it that for some guys it doesn't work at a given place, right? And, and you want to transfer whether – um, you know, you, you don't get along with the coach or you've got uh, – want to get closer to family, whatever the reason may be. I just feel like that if, if you open it up to everyone that they can transfer one time at any given time, I, I just I, – I think it's a mess, man. I, I really do. Like, if, if I knew that in the spirit of the sport that people would go to a school – give it like everything that they've got. And then if they're not going to play and they're not going to be able to find their way onto the field and, and they want to transfer somewhere, then, then, okay, we'll do that. But I just, I don't know that that's the way it's going to be. I feel like if you recruit a five-star kid and he comes in and, you know, he's, he's maybe not quite ready. He can be really good in the future, but he's not quite ready to play you're forced to put him out on the field before he's ready just to keep him at your school and maybe sit a better player. I mean, I, and, and then maybe risk losing that guy. I, I don't know, man. I just, I think it creates a big mess. I wish that, that schools and conferences 
hadn't been so difficult to begin with. And I don't think we'd be talking about this situation with how horrible it is and how unfair it is if teams would have been a little more uh, understanding and allowing of some of their guys to tra transfer places and, and not take a year of eligibility, then I don't think we'd be in this mess. But I just see – I see a big mess. I really do. Well, okay, so much to unpack there. there it already is a big mess, first of all, okay? Uh, what Gabe said is exactly right. They've got to change the 25 scholarship got to. limitation. Have to. It's, it's, it's archaic, makes no sense. And given the transfer portal, we're here, guys. Whether, whether you want to embrace it or not, it's here. Oh, the oh transfer it's happening. Portal it's getting approved is, is a real thing. Here's my big thing. You want, to, you want to make someone sit out a semester a year, fine. Don't take a year of your eligibility, right? I, I mean, these are young – I mean, again, I don't want to – 18-year-old kids making a decision, things change. Some of it is competition, and I don't embrace wanting kids to run away from competition. If I can't start here, I'm going to go there. I agree. That's not what I look at it. But I do think that the way we're in it now with the NCAA – just randomly choosing what is immediate, uh, you know, immediate uh, approval and eligibility to play and what's not. The crap that they pulled this year and last offseason with some of their rulings is asinine. And that's why we're getting to this point, because they're picking and choosing on people that they're going to say they're immediately eligible and they're not immediately eligible. And the, the information as what's been transparent to us doesn't add up. And I think that that's what's really leading us towards, well, because the NCAA clearly can't do a good job, a good enough job of deciphering what should be immediate eligibility, what legitimately should be granted that ability to allow these young people to transfer, sicknesses in their families, parents passing away, getting closer to family, kids that weren't given immediate eligibility, and then other kids in other cases where it makes no sense and yet they're granted that eligibility. That's what's got us to this point is because right. it makes zero sense at all. And also, I'm sorry, and, and, and people go to schools for different reasons, but the number one reason, I went to the University of Oklahoma was because of Bob Stoops, Mike Stoops, and Brent Venables. If Bob Stoops had taken the Cleveland Browns job after that first year or before I was about to sign, I may not have gone there. Had he taken a job one or two years in, I don't know if that's where I wanted to spend my college time. And if something like that happens to kids across the country, I do think you should have the ability to be able to transfer. And if you have to sit out a semester, cool, but it should not cost you one of four very precious and hard-earned years of eligibility that you get in college athletics. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Let me just say this. You know, and I agree about going to the University of Oklahoma for Bob Stoops, and for me, it was Brent Venables. Um, whenever he recruited me, I just – it was like, I, I want to play for this guy. I, I mean, and that's, that's all I wanted. And then I showed up, and the only thing I could think of is – how in the hell do I get out of here and get away from this guy? He made my life a living hell. It BB, was BB's got an impressive uh, switch that he can flip. Yes. The first two years of my life at Oklahoma were the two most miserable years of my life. Now, there's a lot of good things that happened in there, but on a day-in, day-out basis, uh, it was horrible. And if I had an option to just take the easiest next thing and, and, and go find somewhere else that was easier, that was better, then I would have been on the first thing smoking. But 
I think there's something to uh, having to struggle through a little bit of, of difficulty that brings the best out in people. And I just, I don't know, because let's be honest, we got 1% of college football players are going to the NFL. So all of these transfers and all of these things, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't end up mattering a whole heck of a lot as far as guys going to the next level and all that thing. I'm just saying that, like, what, what precedent are we setting with these guys whenever we say, hey, if when, it ever when, gets hard, when shit gets just hard, so you know, that, just you go somewhere else. And, and it's going <laughs> to be easier somewhere else. That's, that's not what much. you're saying. So, okay, I hear you. I hear you. But that's not what we're saying. And, again, there's different reasons. And we can't sit here and say – I mean, everyone has reasons for doing things. But what no, I'll say I to this, that, though, Ted – That's what I said. What I said, I'll say, like, though, if you've got a, a legitimate Who's reason, won the last three Heismans? And who has been the last three number one overall picks? Is Baker Mayfield afraid of competition? Is Kyler Murray afraid of competition? Was that a mistake? Jeopardize his future – by leaving Texas A&M and coming to Oklahoma, or for Joe Burrow, who couldn't get it done at Ohio State, to go to LSU? Was that a bad choice by those guys? No, I mean, that, it, that is the interesting component a, a to it. But I'm just saying, to though, transfer. to say that just because somebody uh, evaluates not, a situation and says, I want to go somewhere else. Every single player in college football having an open transfer to go wherever they want at any time they want. That's one, a, time, we're, one time. We're, one we're time. We're talking about just one time. A, one time. Uh, sure. But I mean, that's a that's a, a lot of players. Difference. That's, I mean, well, it and, is, it is. But but here's the thing: you're acting as if every single player is going to have that mindset that when the tough gets going, I'm going to run and look for right. something easier. No, and, then, and that's, that's just not the I'm case. Not saying, yeah. And some I never people said will. That every player would do that. I said, no. what I mean, kind of precedent are we setting if we say that any time it gets tough, you have the ability to bail the, out? The precedents are already set, though. I mean, we see it each and every year. Justin Fields. Leaves Georgia immediately. Oh, Kirby Smart, what were you doing? It's a terrible decision by him. But I mean, we see it each and every year. Yeah, so it, I mean, it, it's, it's going to continue. I mean, we're also, we're highlighting a bunch of success stories, right? There's what we a need million. Here's of here's a perfect that, sure. that don't work he, out. Here's a perfect example, and I, I want to make it clear: this one-time transfer exemption, it's going to pass. Yeah, it is. I mean, this is going to be the new normal, and coaches are going to have to adjust to it but they have to adjust the scholarship limit have to. on a year, yearly basis because it, not only is it good for the coaches, but it's good for the players. I saw a stat, guys, earlier this year in the ACC, and it was in an athletic article, and I can't remember the author. I'm sorry. But in the ACC, there was 105 scholarship football players that entered the portal. Ten of the 105 landed scholarships at other FBS programs and seven were power five programs. I mean, so when we talk about Justin Fields and Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow and those people, those are the people it worked out for, but I'm, I'm with you, Teddy. There's a lot of people. It's not working the way that maybe people thought it would. Now I'm all for giving these kids the flexibility to make this decision. I mean, it's a huge decision. They're grown adults. You make it, you live with it. I don't want to hear you bitch about it if it doesn't go well for you. I mean, these are decisions that 
kids and their families they can collectively make. But the NCAA, once this gets implemented, they need to revisit the scholarship limits. And I wouldn't be surprised if it gets passed in May and then they maybe delay the implementation of it until the 2021 season. Because with everything that's going on with the coronavirus, it would just be chaos. I mean, absolute chaos. It would be kind of fun for us to watch from afar and not have to deal with it. But it would be just a complete shit show. All I'll say is you're 100% right. There's always two sides of the coin. But as it is now, there's plenty of schools in this country that run kids off, even that are on scholarship, still happen. that aren't good enough. So, right. I, mean, I mean, I'm just saying, that let's not act like there's this utopia as it currently is. Each and every year, there are coaches that look at scholarship guys that thought when they signed the dotted line, they were getting – four, if not five years somewhere. And, and as much as we'd like to think that's true across the country, you and all three of us know that's not the case. So, I mean, we are those kids are still signing an annual scholarship in most places, by the way, too. Not a four- or a five-year right. scholarship. There is definitely a cannot-play-here list after every year for every school. Like, these oh, guys cannot coaches, play. Yeah, right. Coaches, yeah, I don't think coaches beat around the bush very much anymore with that stuff to say, Hey, you need to look, look to go somewhere else. I mean, I think some coaches are that honest and upfront about it. Uh, one more note in the world of college football that caught some headlines. The NCA put out this guide and it was, it was a little confusing. I'm not going to lie, but I read it a couple times and I think I understand it, but they put out this guide to how college sports can return. And they named it the core principles of re-socialization of collegiate sport, which is quite a name. Now, there's three phases. So phase one has to go well for 14 days before you move to phase two. Then 14, 14 more days of phase two has to go well. And then you get to phase three. Now, this guide wasn't very helpful, in my opinion, but phase three is where football can actually happen is kind of how I understood it because in phase two they discourage groups of 50 or more getting together last time I checked there's 100 guys on a college football team if you're practicing so that but when you think about it that's six weeks guys if you're if you're talking about this principles of re-socialization that the NCAA <laughs> put out and then last time we talked about the football oversight committee saying they would recommend six weeks for these guys to practice. So if you're doing some math in your head, six weeks for the re-socialization to happen, plus another six weeks, guys, we're getting close to this having to be implemented soon for college football to start on time. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's 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 a whole lot to unpack there. Um, you know, a lot of it is about, you know, because right now we have, I don't know, there's, of all the different states out there, there's, there's a bunch of states that are in different situations right now. Uh, some have opened all the way up. Some have, uh, you know, opened uh, just a, a small amount. Others are still in what we would consider a, a – a critical lockdown. So 
you know, everyone's going to be different. And that's kind of the, the first thing here is like wherever you're located, that area has to be uh, meeting these certain criteria for you to be able to operate. And it's going to be interesting to see like, you know, California, um, New York, some schools in, up, up in the East Coast that have, that have been hard hit. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how those places start to progress. You know, you can look across the country in some places and you say, well, I don't think we're going to have at least, you know, you could take an educated guess and say that I think these different phases are attainable. And there's others that may be looking at this list saying, geez, I, <laughs> something better start getting better really quick. So it's, I mean, it's really broad and it's going to be different for pretty much everyone. Ted's exactly right. And I mean, I guess based off of what you said, Gabe, um, I mean, we're looking at June 1st, right? I mean, that puts you at middle of June, uh, or sorry, middle of July, that first six weeks before you can really get into it. Yeah. And six weeks from there, that puts you at the 1st of September. So we're talking about if we're not going to have, based off of this criteria that you said, and what we saw that we uh, appears to be will be approved by the NCAA with a six-week uh, re-implementation for all these different programs. I mean, we're looking at June 1, which, by the way, uh, Mr. Hawkeye himself, president of Iowa, said last week that's when they're going to get the thing kickstarted. No, by the way, the Big 12, uh, they have everything shut down till what? May 31st. So June 1st would potentially be that first date. That's um, an important day, boys. June 1st is, is turning into a very important day for our lives because, well, frankly, our lives revolve around college football. The month of May is going to be so important, I think, to see exactly what happens with things starting to reopen. Like Ted said, other states that are in worse shape, uh, are they going to, you know, are we going to start to see them soften on some of their guidelines? I mean, uh, these next 30 days, I think, are, uh, uh, as, as a great coach we once had, Ted, they're paramount to if we're going to have college football Absolutely coming up paramount. this fall. Absolutely paramount the month of May. Well, let me paint you guys an interesting picture. Now, this is a a what if, but let's say that Oklahoma, the state, and their phases are in alignment with what the NCAA is requiring. As you guys know, the city of Norman right now is more I, restrictive. I saw than your the rest bar of the I state. saw your barber sued your mayor. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. So Norman is more restrictive than the other areas. Wait a second. Ted has a barber. He's bald. I'm sorry. For those <laughs> you know of you that what I'm watching. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Hour, I like the city of Norman hour barber. I was going to say, can I become your barber? Because that seems like one I can't even screw up. Sorry. Uh, so unnecessary. Can you guys here. imagine a scenario in which the no. University of Oklahoma no. – missed the guidelines because the city of Norman's restrictions were There's more no stringent way. than what the NCAA requires. Oh my Can you imagine that? I mean, Zero. That's how many percentage chance they're getting Zero. right now is incredible. Like if that came into focus, uh, you'd really have some people upset with the, uh, the city. Yeah. It, it's just going to be really interesting to see how this thing goes. I, I, I do think the NCAA, is trying to make the best out of an impossible situation. I don't defend the NCA very often, but this is not a great situation to be in. And we all know how important collegiate athletics is, you know, to the kids, to the coaches, to the economy. 
it's just a bad situation all around, Dusty. So, okay, last thing I have, and I'm not going to divulge more than this, but I spoke uh, with a very influential person over the weekend, and they just let me know that, A, things are trending um, very well in a lot of places in the country uh, for potential football in the fall, and it was pointed out to me that, though I would not have thought it mattered, they thought that the fact that the NFL at least is saying that they are going to start the season as scheduled was significant even for college football. Didn't really elaborate. Didn't go much more from there. But God bless just the that, National Football League. That, that, that is, I think, just for positive momentum, that was good for the outlook of college football in the fall. And I'll leave it there. Nothing I more, nothing do, less. I think it would do wonders if – Major League Baseball would would come up with something. Totally well, the agree. The NBA too. got out there and started playing. I know the PGA. Yeah, the NBA. Where's the NBA plan. at? They're supposed right. to be the trendy. We figure everything out. We're ahead of the curve. Where, where where are you at, Adam Silver? What are we doing? Well, the the tough thing is like if you're the first one back, right? Because you're going to get all the arrows from the people that that think that you it's want too risky. people to die. Right. Exactly. Just so calm down. If if you can get other sports out there, heck. NASCAR is about to start running. Um, you know, UFC is is trying to get back and going pretty quickly. The more of that stuff that happens, the better for college football. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. There's, I, I think that the, May is certainly going to be paramount. Paramount. So we'll we'll see Crucial. we'll see how that goes. Now, let's finish this episode up, boys, with a just a couple segments. Uh, we'll get straight to the winners and losers of the weekend. You see what we're doing there? So when we do the Monday show, it's going to be winners and losers of the weekend. When we do the Thursday show, now remember, it's Thursday now, not Friday. We will do winners and losers of the week because that's how it works. You know, one part's the weekend, one part's the week. It, it makes perfect sense. So like our man Toby Keith says, we got winners, we got losers. Teddy, who you got, winner and loser of the weekend? Uh, I'll say, I'll start off with winners. Let's go with golf courses. You know, Saturday we had, we were hanging out at the pool and the idea came up. It's like, God, tomorrow's supposed to be beautiful. No wind. Let's go play a round of golf. Well, after calling pretty much everywhere in the entire area and then being completely packed for, uh, for tea times, I'd say the winners are the golf courses around the state right now because the weather was great and did, people were out playing. I gotta golf. ask, did you did you try to name drop at all? Did you? I I know I, you're not like that. I did not handle the booking arrangements. Okay, I did not handle the booking arrangements. Why didn't you so just the go answer to, to that is Belmar no. with Dusty. Could have. I was, could have. I was at Belmar uh, yesterday, and you're right, Ted. The the golf courses and they. I can at least speak for Belmar. It was looking. Prime, baby. Beautiful out there. How'd you play? Peaks and valleys, Ted. <laughs> Peaks and valleys. You know what really pisses me off, dude? I'm going to tell you. is the fact that I suck at putting, okay? I got a five-foot par put on one. Uh, no chance. I got a eight, seven, eight-foot par put on two. Not even close. I got a – I am on number three, par five. I'm over the green putting off the fringe. So, and I think I've got, I don't know, six feet for birdie. Miss it. My first three holes, I could have had a one under Oh, and start. you're going downhill there, too. You didn't run away uh, past, did you? Anyway, I stink. 
I suck. Who, who you it got as your loser? It was fun to be out there, though. Who you got uh, the, as your loser of the weekend, Teddy? The losers are the meat eaters out there. We got the we got a meat shortage going on out there. Chicken, beef, pork. That's all you eat. I the know. only thing I've ever I'm seen you eat, and this meat. this is this is not a lie. I've never seen you eat anything other than meat and fruit. <laughs> That's it. Every time we I, eat together, meat, fruit. For dinner, I had a package of bacon. <laughs> I, I have. We we used to eat uh, on Thursday nights. Uh, the Olive Garden used yeah, to have the buddy. bottomless oh. pasta nights. Oh yeah, all you can eat pasta. <laughs> shout Ted out to our myself, shout out to our Dan friends Cody. at Olive Garden. And Lance Donnelly uh, might have been there a time or two back in the I'm day. I'm surprised we didn't put him out of business. No doubt. Am uh, I up for this thing? You're up. Winner and loser of the weekend. <sighs> well, first of all, I'm pissed at you because you stole mine, so I'm not, I'm not going to mention it because it's a good one. And I talked about this earlier, but I don't care. I'm going to say it again. The Dallas Cowboys, man. Um, and, you know, they go into the weekend and Cooper Rush is the backup quarterback. That's it. You know how many attempts he's got in three years? Three. Okay, he's averaging an attempt a year. God bless Cooper Rush. I know Oklahoma State fans can't stand him. We all remember the Hail Mary that should have never been but was. That was Cooper Rush. And Cooper Rush is the reason Dak Prescott and his agent are like, we don't give a damn what Jerry says. They've got to sign us because they're not letting Cooper Rush run this team. Well, guess what? Now the Dallas Cowboys say, not up in here. We ain't got to rely on Cooper Rush. We got the red <laughs> rifle, baby. That's right. Andy D in the big D as the backup quarterback. So the Dallas Cowboys, big winners over the weekend by securing arguably the best backup in the National Football League. And then my biggest loser, straight up, my waistline, boys. My wife, okay, oh. God bless her. She's, she's fit. She's in shape. Uh, she does a great job. But she has a sweet tooth like no human being I've ever been around. And for whatever reason, she decided she was going to buy like eight different kinds of Bluebell ice cream. She got oh, all kinds of ice cream. Yeah. She got this um, ice cream cone ice cream. She got this confetti cake ice cream. She got bride's cake ice cream. She got um, blackberry cobbler ice cream. She got peach and cream ice cream. And, dude, I used to weigh 310 freaking pounds. I'm a fat ass at heart. You can't put me around all those sweets and it not affect me. So Tiger got out of its only, cage. Tiger got out of its cage. did I not get enough exercising in this weekend, but my wife, who I think loves me, maybe she's trying to kill me, brings all this damn sweets into my house, and now my waistline has got to deal with it. Biggest she, loser, my she fat actually ass. may have been trying to kill you. You know, speaking of biggest losers, Bluebell ice cream <laughs> over this weekend just had to pay Big out the Jack. biggest – amount of money in the history of what the uh the fda in a lawsuit because of the listeria outbreak she may be trying to kill you dusty <laughs> thank you i knew something was going on <laughs> i knew it was fishy um all right my winner of the weekend it goes to thor bjornson aka I, the mountain from game of thrones i assume both of you meatheads have seen this video yes the mountain heat Sets a deadlift world record, 1,104 pounds. And he, he doesn't even struggle. And I'm not like a power lifter. I, I never was into weightlifting, probably because I was really shitty at it. But 
this was unbelievable. The video, this is a world record. Now he is the strongest man on the planet. So it makes sense, but it, he didn't even struggle. What the hell did I watch? Listen to this. So Dusty's one of the strongest guys I've ever been around. Dusty, you were what a, a 600 plus squatter. Like whenever it, this is powerlifting in high school. I squatted, were, I squatted, uh, I won the state championship. I squatted 655. I benched 440 and I deadlifted 635 to win the state championship. That's almost, I mean, that's winning the state I set, championship. I set a Texas. state record. I set a state, I set a state record for my classification with that. And I deadlifted Damn, 630. Strong, boy. No, Damn, no. This Texas, dude, this dude, what he did. Double. Yeah. I, I, I deadlifted 630 pounds, which is a lot of weight. This dude did. 500 more pounds than that 500 and he said afterward uh probably could have done 50 more but it didn't matter <laughs> i mean what he did is unthinkable fellas unthinkable have you guys ever like done any like looked no. him up he was a oh. basketball player yeah from, he's a basketball player have from you seen Iceland. his dog no he's got like a tiny little pomeranian it's got its own instagram <laughs> it's i swear it's incredible dude. it's incredible <laughs> he's six I foot nine papers. like 400 something pounds i mean it's just he's 425 and he's got no fat on him he's unbelievable unreal genetics genetics are great all right my loser of the weekend this is going to all of us here in the u.s because something called the murder hornet has arrived in the united states a new threat a massive hornet with mandibles that rip bees to shreds and a stinger so potent that one unfortunate victim likened it to quote having red hot thumbtacks being driven into my flesh <laughs> when i heard that description i was just like what are we what are we doing here so i looked into it i i got curious about the murder hornet now maybe we shouldn't be that worried like as human beings but this thing just destroys bees i i, I mean like just it, it it's a massacre guys I, I read that an asian hornet which is also nicknamed the murder hornet which is one hell of a nickname can decapitate 40 honeybees per minute what <laughs> what is this Dude, kill it bill just, yeah <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's like it's a massacre of bees and oh my God. bees I mean, have already four, been struggling I can't, I can't eat 40 jelly beans in a minute i mean how is that thing eating 40 so bees heads in a minute That's within crazy. within hours a swarm of murder hornets can purge entire beehives they just wow. show up and murder all the bees now uh, Bees are important to plants and food for us. So we, we've got to stop the murder hornet. We've got to kill this thing before it takes over, guys. I do feel bad that whenever I saw the murder hornet trending, I was thinking the same thing. Oh, my God, we're all going to die. I was. I feel bad that I was so relieved that the, uh, the bees were the ones that were going to get the, the brunt, not the, not the humans. But you're right, Gabe. We've got to meet this thing with force. Force must be met with force. We've got to help our farmers out, guys, especially here in this great state. 
We got to stop the murder hornet. That that's our goal. It it has to happen. New nickname. I who's who's going to be the murder hornet football player coming up this year? Like the Ooh. honey badger. That's a really badass nickname for a safety. The murder, the murder hornet. hornet. <laughs> I'd like to. I want to get stung by it to see if it's really like uh, the description that Gabe gave because. That sounds pretty ferocious. I don't think it's well, that bad. Red control, hot thumbtacks being driven yeah. into my flesh. Yeah. As a I'll control, be, Dusty, I'll do the red hot thumbtacks into your flesh so you can – I will film it actually and watch. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll film it and watch you guys do that, and you can I just know how it goes. I mean, who comes up with that assessment? I mean, who the hell has had red hot – thumbtacks driven into their flesh i want to know who makes that assessment that that's what they're comparable <laughs> yeah. to where where are you at i think that's a bunch of crap you is what i make think that comparison we're like oh yeah it's just like this one time when i hit <laughs> up this thumbtack over a that's over like that's a stone. very descript thing is it not like that's not just saying oh it so really specific. stings like a lot i mean <laughs> It would be one thing if the mountain, you know, the six nine four hundred pounder was the one that said that, but we we need to know who the person was. Like it could have been a ten year old kid that said it. True. All right, boys, let's move on to our last segment. Last segment. This is how we always end the show with keeping it local, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And the story for keep it lo- keeping it local today is interesting and i've been waiting all day to get teddy's thoughts on it stillwater yes stillwater america Uh, the mayor of stillwater will joyce late last week issued an emergency proclamation making it mandatory for people to wear face coverings in stores and restaurants seems pretty reasonable right with everything that's going on well he walked that back a mere 16 hours later and made it optional because people were showing up at businesses and threatening people that were trying to make them wear masks. So instead of saying, no, 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 you guys need to follow the rules, our man Will Joyce in Stillwater said, okay, never mind. I didn't mean it. It's optional. Now, employees of these restaurants and stores still have to wear the masks, but did our man Will Joyce just buckle underneath the pressure? Well, he did. Here's what I think is interesting. You know, usually when you go to a store and pull a gun on someone, Can't you want to have the mask on, right? <laughs> it's surprising to see someone uh, go somewhere and pull a gun on someone because they don't want to put the mask on. Uh, pretty crazy. I, hey, if the mayor's going to walk it back in 16 hours, then the only thing I'm going to say is maybe he didn't think about it very long before he, uh, he put it into effect, but I don't know. Pretty brutal. I just, I thought it was hilarious. I was like, way to stick to your guns there, pal. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I would like to say that we talked about it. Don't make other people uncomfortable. Don't be an asshole to other people. And I feel like there are some people in Stillwater that were not following our simple guidelines when it came to those things, right? What do, what do you do? You walk into a restaurant and they tell you you're supposed to be wearing a mask and you just say no and you sit in the booth? Like, I, I, 
it's just funny to me. I don't know why it's so funny to me. Listen, if you can't, if if you don't want to abide by it, then just, I guess, stay home. I don't know that it's a reason to, um, to start threatening people and employees. It's like, you know, the last thing these employees want to deal with, like they probably don't want to wear a mask. They don't want to be there. You know, they're, they're just happy to have a job at this point. You know, the last thing you need to do is go in there and threaten them with something that, you know, it's not their decision to have to enforce. Let, let's not threaten people. We don't all have to agree with the rules that are in place. Threatening people with force is not the way to go. So yeah. can't we all just get along? And, and I think that this story kind of says itself. I mean, for him to walk back uh, his rule that quickly tells you probably how firmly his feet were in the ground on it to begin with. Yeah. And let's finish off keeping it local with a couple of our Twitter questions uh, from some of the listeners. we got a couple of good ones, guys. This one comes from Jackson Moore, at Jackson Moore 1 on Twitter. He asks, what game do you guys wish – you could go back to and change the outcome of non-championship games. Non-championship games. What Oklahoma games? State 2002 um, and Stillwater. 100% or, agree. Or, or 2001. Or 2001. You take your pick. Probably. So, uh, I don't know. They both, they both are a gut punch. 01 was my freshman year. And. We had the Big 12, probably 01. 02, we got our ass kicked more. Like, they literally, they beat the hell out of us. And that was, like, hard to look yourself in the mirror. That What in the hell just happened? 01, it was a dogfight. We really ran it till the very end. Our offense was really subpar that year. But, um, you know, that one wasn't the, the actual beatdown. It was rip your heart out, Big 12 South trophy on the sidelines. It sucks that now you don't get a chance to play for the Big 12 title or the national title, which if we just win that damn game, we're in position to. So take your pick, OSU, those two games. I would say that 2002, we would have had an actual chance at the national championship. In 01, we could we could have got there, but we weren't going to beat Miami won. with our offense. Right. So my, I would say O2, is... OSU. Yeah, mine's probably 2011 when we went to Oklahoma State, and that's their best team ever. There's no doubt. Brandon Whedon, those guys, that was a hell of a football team, but it, it shouldn't have been 44 to 10. That was an absolute embarrassing ass kicking that I still think about quite often. Um, I still remember the feeling walking off that field going, oh my gosh, what just happened? They were, they, I mean, they were clearly better than us, but I don't think they were that much better than us. And one honorable mention for me is an NFL game where playing for the Tennessee Titans, third preseason game, we go to New Orleans, we're playing in the Dome. Zach Mettenberger and Bishop Sankey, haven't heard that name in a while, I bet. And Bishop Sankey fumbled the handoff ball falls right next to my leg and my knee gets blown out by a pile of people i wish that wouldn't have happened i wish that outcome could have changed it would have been interesting to see if my football career would have been any different if that didn't happen one thing i have to say uh that 2011 game in uh stillwater (laughs) dusty and i did post game from i think pita pit is that where that was Dusty? in stillwater campus stillwater (laughs) 
It was like our first. It really was such. We, we got uh, radio smoked. We hey, got smoked. Let, me, let me tell you something. They beat y'all's ass so bad at the line of scrimmage, I could barely watch. If it, if it makes you feel say any better, game, I played well. <laughs> you said you said that it, it shouldn't have been – I, I, I don't know if you were saying that it wasn't as bad as the score indicated. No, I no, thought no, it was worse. no, no. Yeah, I, I thought it was worse. Yeah, we, we did not play well. It, it shouldn't have they been – the game they, shouldn't have gone I, that way. They were good. I will just man. say this. I know Ted may uh, fight me on it. That was, that was the best Oklahoma State team probably ever. In oh, the history it, of the school. No that doubt. Team, that team, if they play LSU, I'm not so sure they don't beat LSU and win the national championship. It would have been a hell of a game. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That offense, whoo, boy. All right, one, one last question uh, to finish off keeping it local. This comes from Mark W. Riles, at Mark W. Riles on Twitter. It says, question for the boys. Going back to your recruiting, what was the craziest part of the process that you remember? I will start. There's no doubt. I've got two. Number one, just how odd Jim Harbaugh was as a human being, but certainly the weirdest, most bizarre thing that happened. I go to my official visit at Notre Dame. I'm being hosted. They wanted me to play defensive end. I am being hosted by a guy named John Ryan. Super nice guy. Met his parents. They were great. I'm on this visit, this official visit, all by myself. My parents did not come. They said, we want you to go by yourself. Go enjoy it. This is your decision type situation. During the game, and they're playing Michigan, and I will never forget it. It's horrible weather. Raining the entire game. John Ryan rolls up Charlie Weiss on the sideline and breaks it like breaks his leg blows his knee out the whole thing <laughs> whole thing my the guy hosting me on my official visit blows the head coach's knee out and it was unbelievable it was <laughs> it was crazy and so you know everyone is just clowning him after the game Notre Dame won but everyone was just giving him the hardest time after the game and he was just not in a good place and I, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I was like, what are the odds? That's good. I, I don't have any recruiting stories, unfortunately. I wish I did. That's it? Nothing? All right, I got two. I, got I just two went things. to uh, my visit at OU. Nothing I just, weird or strange about it. I hope that I have enough juice here. I got two. Uh, one is uh, – God, I got a couple. It was all from that 2000 year, really. Tell um, your best one. My best one? <sighs> Depends. I, I, can't, I can't differentiate between these two. Best one uh, would have to be when, in 2000 uh, when they beat Nebraska. And I committed I there. So I awesome. committed to Bob in the locker room after the game and went with my dad, my offensive line coach. We rushed the field after the game with everybody as they tore down the goalposts. I'd never – I'm from Lake Dallas, y'all. Like, shit like that don't happen. And the electricity around that stadium, in that stadium, and after that game, to this day, was like nothing I've ever seen in my life. And all I could think about was, oh, my God, I just hope that they don't not offer me a scholarship after this. So as soon as I got into the – well, the, the, the Switzer Center at the time where all the recruits went and everybody celebrating Coach Stoops and this and that, rah, rah, rah. And um, as soon as it's like my turn to talk to him, you know, he's like one of those, 
well, what do you think about that? Don't you want to be a part of this? And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to be a part of this. I want to commit right now, like right now. You can't take it away. And so I committed after that game in Nebraska, which I would have to say has to be one of the all-time, maybe the most pivotal, one of the most pivotal games in Oklahoma football history yeah. uh, and reminding everyone that Oklahoma was back. So that would be my best. But I've got, I've got another good one for a rainy day, but I won't bore Ooh, the people with that I, today. I like the way that that sounds. All right, boys. Dusty liked it so much that he uh, came back again during bowl practice, and I wish he hadn't. Yes, I did. Well, was my official visit. Uh, who I was escorted by a, a little bit of a sick uh, Ted Lehman, if memory serves oh, correct. Oh, my. I, I feel like we're definitely going to get to this story eventually. Oh All right, God. boys. Episode four in the books. Just a reminder, changing up the schedule. We will have another show that will drop Thursday morning. Uh, also, another reminder, you can hear Dusty from 11 to 2 on WWLS, the sports animal. You can see him on ESPN and News 9. You can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. And you can hear me on Sirius XM, ESPNU Radio, Channel 84, and Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time.